Zigzag in One, a place where we honestly discuss how to navigate the zigs and zags in our crazy lives. Expect heartwarming stories, some laughter, and maybe a few tears as we embrace life's challenges and choose joy over a momentary defeat. Today, we will hear from someone whose life has had some unexpected turns, but chose to keep moving forward. What did they learn? Some valuable life lessons. Zigs and Zags are also a part of our host, Melanie Brown's journey. She too had to find the determination to never give up. What are we waiting for? Let's dive in. Welcome to the Zigzag in One podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Brown. I'm so thankful you're joining me today. Sometimes we feel like we've been through the ringer with all the different struggles we've faced. My guest Paige Geske knows all too well what that feels like. You see, she's faced quite a few big zigzags. Here's what I know about Paige, though. They may have slowed her down, but y'all, it has not stopped her from living fully, engaging in all kinds of outdoor adventures, and pursuing her passions. Paige and I met at the Christian Communicators Conference last August, and after I learned about her struggles and I experienced her positive attitude firsthand, I knew I had to read her book, and I knew I had to have her as a guest on the show. She's an author and a speaker and a mother of three sons. She spends every moment she can out in nature, biking and camping and snowshoeing and kayaking in Idaho. Guys, the pictures from those adventures are unbelievable. One adventure she's yet to check off her list is walking the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which I learned was a pilgrimage walk for Christians in the Middle Ages. Because you are going to learn that she's a colorectal cancer survivor, we decided that March during this month of awareness was the best time to publish her episode. I am so eager for you to hear Paige's story. Join me for my conversation with Paige Geske. here, Melanie. I have been looking forward to this time with you. When I read your book, Milepost 95, From Wreckage to Redemption, I kept thinking about that confident woman that was sitting a couple of seats down for me at the conference. I heard bits and pieces of your story when we were there during those few days, but girl, I had no idea of the amount of zigzags that you have faced, and I believe that confidence that I saw was hard earned (laughs) as God helped you face and even overcome some pretty significant struggles. Amen. So let's start with the eating disorder that developed during your senior year of high school. In your book, you wrote exercising and dieting like a fiend. What led to that? You know, I think a lot of it is women wanting acceptance. And so you you don't get it maybe from your peers in high school or you don't get it from the opposite sex you're not people aren't asking you out they're not asking you to prom and so you want to find a way you want to be accepted and so people lean towards okay well if i if i just become a size four or size six or size three then then i'll be accepted and then i'll be in the in crowd yeah, and, and I understand exactly what you're saying as far as what 
women feel in, in during those times. And I've taught high school students long enough to know that that is definitely an issue that even girls today experience. When you realized that you felt empty and worthless and had no peace or contentment, you confided in your college roommate. Well, first I had to get to the bottom of the pit and, and realize that um, being thin and being accepted by others was not the end all. That was not, that was not happening. And so basically it was a chain of events where she accepted the Lord a couple weeks before I had and basically invited me to church. And it happened to be because this is how God orchestrates his plans for his people, a sermon on believing in Christ. And if you believe and receive, and it basically that sermon hit me at a point where I knew that that's what I needed. Like, I was at the end, I honestly believe that if I had not accepted Christ at that moment and allowed him to start transforming me spiritually, I would have died physically. Wow, that's pretty significant. It's very powerful. Fast forward a little bit and let's talk about when you met your husband, Matthew, who at the time, of course, wasn't your husband, but you met him there at a prayer conference after college. Tell me about the relationship that you had in the first few years of your marriage. So I was, what, 27 at the time. So back then that was a time, a lot of all of my friends were already married, you know, already married and already having kids. And so we started dating long distance. And back then there wasn't email, there wasn't FaceTime, it was phone calls attached to the wall and also cell phones. Um, And we developed a relationship. And I I think for me, I think a big part of it was I was really scared that if I didn't get married, I was going to miss out. That if if I didn't get married at that time and start having children that I I wasn't going to be able to have those things that I wanted. And we started out and and we had a good relationship. But when I look back on it, I don't feel like it was completely centered on Christ and that there were a lot of differences in our personalities. And we just, we weren't the best fit. But what struck me was that there was a, an emotional disconnect throughout your marriage and it really impacted you, but it also impacted your three children. As time went on, it it appeared in your book that the divide, the disconnect got larger and larger. And then he took a job in a place that really wasn't conducive to a strong marriage. Tell me about that. Right. He accepted a job in another state and our children were like 5, 10, and 15, and, and I had a full-time job. So I was in another state running herd on our family, and there was a lot of travel back and forth um, where he would come back to see us or we would go to see him, and it was very, very difficult to run a home. And then, you know, that created, created a lot of discourse. It it created a lot of, I was, I was parenting and running the home during the week. And then he'd show up for the weekend and think, thought things needed to be a certain way. And it was, it was very, very difficult. And I think when it became really clear to you 
that things were not going in the right direction with your marriage was when you and your, your daughter Andrea were in a car accident, which is the beginning of your book. It's where your, your book starts with this significant car wreck that happened at milepost 95. So tell me about that. So we were uh, traveling back from being in Montana for a week of summer vacation and my daughter and I needed to come back because we both had jobs and the other two boys stayed with Matthew and Montana. And it was just an accident where um, she overcorrected and it was a car she'd never driven before because I'd only had it for like nine days. She just overcorrected and we ended up in an accident and fortunately no one else was injured or hurt, but it was a major accident. It was not a fender bender where she was able to be completely whole and nothing happened to her, thank God, which is a mother, that's the way you want it. Yes. But I, I ended up with quite a lot of injuries and that was, that was very, very difficult. And, um, I ended up being flown to a trauma, I mean, not flown, driven to a trauma center and starting the process of them discerning what needed to happen, what surgeries needed to happen. And we reached out to my husband, her dad at the time, and he was only five hours away and it took him 36 hours to get there. So here I am alone with a daughter, um, literally looked like a mummy in a bed and there's no one because we were in a, in a city that was not close to, to any family. Tell me about the part of your story where you prayed upon impact and how that prayer was significant in the injuries that you had, but the lack of injuries that your daughter had. So when we were crashing, if you've ever been through anything like that, I pray people don't ever have to go through anything like that, but you, I just started praying because I didn't know what else to do. I remember closing my eyes and praying two prayers. And the one prayer was that, and I thought it was very odd at the time that a physician would arrive on the scene. And then secondly, that if something happened to me and I were to die and go to heaven, that there would be somebody there for my daughter to take care of her because I did not want her to be alone. And sure enough, we crashed and we ended up in a median between north and southbound traffic. And you're, I was going into trauma. You hear all these things, you hear sirens, you hear people asking how many in the car. And then I remember hearing this very distinct voice of this lady and I'm praying to meet her, the side of heaven. Her name's Beth. She said, you all need to let me through. My name's Beth and I'm a physician. Wow. That, that part gave me chill bumps when I was reading it because it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like she truly saved your life. And I honestly, I don't know what she did. I know she went to my legs and she started doing something to my legs and I'm, I'm, thinking that she in some way tried to tourniquet or stop the bleeding because I had some pretty massive holes in my legs and and then she was gone but I remember at that very moment even in the middle of trauma and shaking and trying to calm my daughter down God met me in that moment and and it was like he said I've heard you I've got you 
I'll be with you, you know? And, and so I felt like in that very divine moment, he reassured me that he had me and that he would take care of me. Let's talk about the injuries that you had. They are significant and you were in the hospital for a long time and your recovery took a long time. So tell me about the injuries that you had and then talk about the recovery period. So I had a shattered hip, which meant I was pinned in the car. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but I could not walk because I had a shattered hip. And then I had a, a broken leg and a lot of massive, uh, I call it skin blowouts, basically where um, we had hit guardrail. And so I'm not exactly sure what caused the injury. We both had our seat belts on, but I received a lot of... Uh, injury in, in the, both the bottom parts of my leg, the calf, calf sections of my leg. Uh, so I was in two different trauma centers for 20, 25 days total, had to be transferred from one to another. And then I was in a medical bed for about three months. So basically we turned a room in my home, which again, you know, God had already gone ahead of me in this, but it was a, it was a den on the first floor that basically a, a wheelchair, a medical bed could all fit in, had its own bathroom, full bathroom, stand in shower. So I was able to, to use that and to get in and out of the shower and, and do all that, all those things myself. And how many surgeries did you have? Eleven. Golly, you went through the ringer. You definitely did. So let's go back to Matthew for a moment. He just was pretty much absent during your time in the hospital and during your recovery. I know that it was wonderful that your mom stepped in and helped, but there had to have been a lot of emotional pain that came with knowing that your husband wasn't there for you during a very, very significant journey in your life. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think that was very, very, very um, telling during that time. Now, granted, he did have a job in another state and he was, you know, taking care of our family. I was on FMLA um, and he did need to do a job, but it was difficult that he did not come back and really take care of me. There was like a week part of another week where he did come back and weekends that he did, he did come back, but um, it was hard. Um, as you know, mom and daughter relationships can be difficult. And, you know, here you are in your early forties and you are having to rely on other people to do, do things for you. So, so that was very hard, but I think the thing that was people are in marriage and when you've never been married before, that's all you have. You have that, well, this is how I thought marriage, I guess this is how marriage is. Um, but then I started looking at other people and realizing that, you know, different things would happen to other people and their husbands would be there or would be there emotionally and supportive. And I thought, okay, well, there's something missing here. This is not, I don't think this is how marriage should be. And I'm very independent and very strong and very strong-willed. And so you just push through, you know, and you do what you need to do. I'm not saying that that was, 
I, I just tried to survive, you know, a lot during that time. Well, it gave you an opportunity to, to draw close to God. And one of the things that really struck me in your book was you wrestled with several different things during those months of recovery. But one of the questions that you wrestled with was, is God breaking me of my independence? Mm -hmm. And in the next paragraph, you wrote, God was at work fine-tuning my life to make me more Christ-like. While my physical body healed, he was healing me from the inside out. So tell me what you mean by that. So, you know, I think there can be this independence when you're very strong willed and, you know, I can do this and I don't need anybody's help. And, and that's not how God makes us. He wants us to be completely reliant on him and also the body of Christ and the community of Christ. And, and that was something that really, really happened for me is I had to ask people, you know, I had to ask people to drive my kids to soccer or take them to a tournament or drive me to a hospital appointment or a physical therapy appointment and, or people would bring meals or um, give my mom a break or whatever from taking care of me. And so in that fine tuning, God really showed me my need not only for him, but also for the body of Christ and how, um, you know, I feel that really made me a lot more empathetic and sympathetic for other people now that are going through difficult times. If they have an injury or yes. there's a loss or, I mean, I can't even see a person in a wheelchair without literally like all of that comes back on me you know like you just you feel that moment of being in a wheelchair and you're like can I open the door can I go get you groceries can I you know what can you do to make that person's um life easier because when you haven't been there you don't understand how hard it can be to have things taken away from you and the body of Christ coming together and supporting and helping each other is an amazing thing. And that happened when I had my surgery about five years ago, that blew me away. And as you said, it made it very clear in my mind, how important it is for us to do that for each other. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately you and Matthew didn't make it, you ended up getting a divorce. And I know that had to have been very challenging. Uh, but at the same time, it was a, it was a release because you knew that it wasn't healthy for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I realized that he wasn't really going to come back and, and be there for us and be there for our family and that I needed to move forward. And through a lot of counsel of pastors and people in my church, um, I did, I had to file for divorce and it was basically based on abandonment. That was really difficult. It was difficult, but it was something that had to be done. And I hated reading that, but I, I understood that he wasn't there for you when you had, I guess, what I would call one of your most difficult challenges. Although, girl, you've gotten a lot of challenges under your belt at this point, but we had another one in the next few months after you had been fully healed from the, the car accident, you start having... Uh, extreme tiredness and then bloating in your stomach and you're like, hey, something's not right. You went to the doctor. You were given this unexpected diagnosis. What was it? 
So that was in the car accident was 2007. The divorce was in 2008. And then I was diagnosed with colon cancer in 2016, December of 2016. So there was a little bit of a reprieve, but nonetheless, you, you faced another zigzag. So colon cancer. Right. On my first colonoscopy at 51. So, you know, like 50 was traumatic enough. So I didn't Amen, go in. sister. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't go in and have my colonoscopy at 50, which is, is normally that's the protocol. Um, unless you have any prior family history, then you're supposed to go in sooner. So I didn't know that there was any history at all. So I went in at 51 expecting to just you know, get through this procedure, you, uh, and then the physician came in and said, we found colon cancer in your cecum, and basically we need to do surgery as soon as possible, and this was December 21st, and I had, it's called a colonectomy, where they take the section of your colon out that has the cancer in it, and sections of your intestine, and then reconnect it so that everything works accordingly, And then I was very, very fortunate that there had been no cancer in anywhere else, no lymph nodes, no lungs, no liver. It had just been contained within the cecum. So the the surgery took care of it. And so no radiation, no chemo? No radiation, no chemotherapy. Um, Now with colon cancer, you, you have to go through basically five years out. I just hit my four year mark. So I'm pretty excited about that. Absolutely. You should be. You have to have a CT every year. You have to have blood work done, all these things every three, every three, then every six months to make sure that there isn't any uh, colon cancer that would show up in, in any other places. And as of this past December, December, 2020, it was my four year four-year mark and actually they didn't find a polyp or or anything so I'm I'm actually clean for five years I don't have to go back for five years but that makes me a little nervous but that's just me but I'm just I'm very very grateful and so I see that as another a purpose for your pain that I am able to now really try to advocate for colonoscopies and encourage people to get those done and, and be able to share my testimony in that way too. Colon cancer is not um, something to put in a small category. It's cancer. It's, it's significant. You had to have a pretty serious surgery, but you are an athlete through and through, and you absolutely love the outdoors. I love seeing all of your pictures on Facebook of all the different outdoor adventures and especially the scenery. Who knew Idaho was so incredibly beautiful? Right. It's not just the land of potatoes. It's not. Well, I mean, sorry, but I bought into that myth because that's what I always thought was these these big fields with just potato crops. I just had no clue. So I love that. But where I'm going with that is this colon cancer is not keeping you down because shortly after you went through all that you went through and you were in a good spot, you signed up for and competed in a hundred mile bike ride. Girl, seriously? I had been training for that when I got the cancer diagnosis and I wanted, I was like, I got, I want to complete this. I got to get this done. Like this is on my, my list. I want to be able to know that I can do a hundred mile bike rides. And so 
in June of that year, so the cancer was in December of 2016. So in June of 2017, I actually com completed 200 mile uh, centuries is what they call them in the month of June. That is so, unreal. The cool thing about it too, is the first one I didn't even know was for cancer. You know, God had orchestrated that. So here the first century ride that I'm actually doing, the money and the proceeds are all actually going towards cancer, you know, cancer research. And so that was pretty cool to be riding in it and go, wow, I just went through cancer myself and now I'm able to contribute in this way. I wouldn't be doing a hundred mile bike ride myself, but the fact that you did it so shortly after going through cancer treatments was just, it just blew me away because I thought, she, she's a beast. I'm telling you, I was so impressed. So let's see here, anorexia, horrible car accident, divorce, colon cancer. Girl, if you were a cat, that'd be four of your nine lives. <laughs> One more zigzag has crossed your path since then. Tell me about your daughter, Andrea, choosing to transgender to a man who you now call Andrew. Yeah, so about six, six to eight, I think it was six to seven years ago, my daughter, Andrea, that was actually the driver in the car, uh, wanted to meet for lunch and said she needed to tell me something. And so we met for lunch and she shared with me that she had been feeling uncomfortable in her body for a long time and wanted to make the transition to becoming a male. Mm -hmm. And so um, had started taking injections, uh, steroid injections of testosterone and was starting to make that uh, change, uh, both physically and that was hard. I mean, this is my only daughter and she is indicating that she does not want to be a daughter anymore, but she wants to transition to become, to become a son. So, you know, one of the things that I really have learned in that whole, in this journey is, first of all, my call and my role is to love yes. and to love unconditionally, because that's what we're called to do. Jesus does that with us. We're called to do that. I didn't walk away from my child. There's no way. I don't, I don't know how people can do that. I hear stories all the time. He tells me stories of parents that have disowned their children. I can't even fathom that. What I did know is that the Lord was asking me to walk down another road. But again, again, I was not walking alone. That he was going to walk with me and he was going to help me in that transition. And that's been clear in our conversation, but very clear in your book, that God was with you during every single zigzag. And there were many things that you learned during those times. But the, the big takeaway for me throughout your book was that he was with you and he was helping you navigate things that you never thought you would go through, wouldn't have known how to do on your own. Mm -hmm. You relied on him and he's the one that guided you through those things. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then if, you know, if there are any parents out there that are listening, that are in this situation or have starting to go through this situation where you're having those discussions with your child and your child is transitioning to another sex, you know, I would really encourage you to, I mean, I had to ask myself a lot of questions, you know, I had to ask my child, is it something that I did? Did I 
contribute in any way to this or and to hear no that that was not that the case that was helpful but then also to realize that it is a loss and that you you need to grieve this was my only daughter my only daughter to possibly watch get married have a baby have a bridal shout, you know, all of these things that you think are going to happen with right. this daughter, and then that does not happen. So I really feel like it's important for parents to give yourself permission to grieve. And, and even if you find one other person that you can talk to, or, and, and I am happy to talk to people about that. I don't, I don't claim to be any kind of expert. All I can share is my experience if there's any way that I can help other parents or pray with other parents through that, that transition, I am happy to do so. Well, that's very generous. And I will make sure and put your contact information in the show notes so that people can get in touch with you. I know you well enough to know that if they go through any of the zigzags that you face, that you would be there to talk to them as well, not just this one particular thing. So as we start to kind of wrap things up today, let's talk about a few things. What do you know about God that you only know because of his presence in your life throughout all of these challenges? He will never leave you or forsake you. Never, ever. And he hears our prayers. So concerned about even the very details of details. He so loves us and wants to walk with us and be with us and be present with us. He wants us to come to him. What is your one takeaway for the listeners today? That you can navigate any transition that you go through triumphantly with him. Just to be reminded of the fact that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Absolutely love it. I enjoyed your book so much. You are generously giving a book to me to give in a drawing. So I want to make sure that the listeners know to listen to the outro because I'm going to tell you how you can get your name in the drawing for Paige's book. So Paige, thank you so much for sharing today. It was a joy to spend time with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. an incredible testimony of being transformed by each trial she faced. And each of those trials transformed Paige in a different way. But it's clear who she is today is because of God working powerfully in her life. So grateful for Paige offering a copy of her book to give away to a lucky listener. So let's have a little fun with this one, shall we? In honor of the fact that she survived five of her nine lives, I want you to email me a picture of your cat or a cat meme or even a cat joke to melanie at melaniebrown.com. Make sure you email me today because the drawing will be held on Friday, March 12th. Thank you so much for listening today. Would you share this episode with a friend? And make sure to subscribe to the Zigzag in One podcast on your favorite podcast app or on my YouTube channel. Until next time, keep moving forward.